I think that's a, an important part of the sea change initiative too. I'm, not only do I anticipate that the university is going to do some internal evaluations in terms of strengths or opportunities for improvement, I think that we're also going to make a more concerted effort on an institutional level, and I know I do every day. This is A New Angle, and I'm your host, Justin Angle, marketing professor at the University of Montana. This podcast is my chance to speak with cool people doing awesome things in and around the great state of Montana. We are proudly underwritten by First Security Bank and Blackfoot Communications. Hey folks, welcome back and thanks for tuning in this week. Today's episode is number three in our year-long sea change series, investigating gender equity on our campus and beyond. It's a conversation with the amazing Brigitte Miranda Freer, Executive Director of the Montana World Trade Center and Director of Operations at Montech. If you think that sounds like two jobs, well, you're right, and I'm not totally sure how Brigitte pulls it off. We talk about the important work of both of those organizations and then transition into a conversation about her experience with gender as a prominent leader in the Montana economy. Brigitte gets stuff done, and that's largely been her strategy for dealing with gender equity throughout her career. I hope you enjoy the conversation as much as I did, and I'm excited to bring it to you right now. Okay, so we're here today with Brigitte Miranda Freer. Brigitte, thanks for coming on the podcast. Absolutely. Thanks for having me here. Yeah, so uh, I, I got to ask you off off the top. So you are the executive director of the Montana World Trade Center. Yes. And the director of operations at Montech. That sounds like two full-time jobs. How, how does that work? Right. Well, Arguably, it is too full. Yeah, I would think jobs, so. But I doubt it has two salaries. Well, that's true. I I think that there's a natural pairing that I'll talk with you a little bit more about there. But how it is in terms of how it happened, I think I kind of have this reputation as someone who can get things done, mm-hmm. and um, I have done that for a number of years now as executive director of Montana World Trade Center. And when Joe Fungi rolled out of his position with Montech. Uh, there was an opportunity to become uh-huh. engaged in the operations there. And that really fit in with a, a longer-term strategy that I have in relation to uh, future development on that site that I think would be beneficial for this community and, and uh, for the Montana World Trade Center. Yeah, so maybe before we get into why those two jobs yeah. fit together, let's sort of talk about these two these two institutions, yeah, the let's. Montana World Trade Center. Mm-hmm. I mean, I remember coming here on my interview loop, I don't know, 2011, mm-hmm. they're showing me around the building, you're like, oh, that's our Montana World Trade Center. Like, what are you talking about? Like, <laughs> why, how, what, what even is that and why is it here? <laughs> it, it, yeah, there's so many whys in, right. in there. Like, right. answer some of them. Sure, sure. Um, well, I'll talk a little bit about the history of it and then I'll just let you know a little bit about what we do at the Trade yeah. Center, I think would be helpful for you and your audience. So, In terms of the history, yes, this is a World Trade Center. There are over 300 of them around the globe in about 100 different countries. This one World Trade Center is one of only two housed in a university campus, and we were first. Mm -hmm. Um, And it came about over 20 years ago, I think about 25 years ago, um, that the license to this World Trade Center was gifted to the University of Montana by some private developers at the time. And they said, you know, and Larry Guyanchetto was the dean at that time yep. at, the, at the business school. And they said, you know, timing isn't right for us to do something with this, but we think you can. What what can you build out at the university okay. and how can you make that work in a positive manner for, for Montana? And so that was the birth of the World Trade Center way back when. And um, in terms of the work that we do now at the Trade Center, Justin, it really falls into three main buckets. 
Uh, first bucket is technical assistance and consulting that we provide to companies in relation to export and import. Second bucket is topical training that relates to international business matters. And then the third is really select activities that we undertake as an organization to, to move the needle in a positive direction for Montana's international trade portfolio. And I can give you examples if that would be Sure, that might be the it. best yeah. way to illustrate yeah. it is like, sure. what does the actual work look like in these yeah. various buckets? What does it should say that you do there? Yeah. Yeah, kind of. Yeah. <laughs> nice. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so in terms of the technical assistance, that varies on a daily basis. Uh, we work with businesses across the state and in many different industries. So it's questions as broad as, you know, how do we mitigate our payment risk on this international transaction? Or we're hearing this from our distributor overseas. Is that correct? Can you help us verify it? Or even, you know, how do we prioritize where in the world we want to go with our product or service? So there, there's that piece. And then sometimes we take a deeper dive for our clients and really do some research into specific markets in terms of what the existing marketing environment looks like, what are regulatory issues that may impact them, uh, partner identification sure. kinds of issues. When you say clients, are these people paying for your services? Yes, uh, okay. they do pay for our services. And then, as you know, uh, there are always freemiums that go along with oh, for service sure. provision yeah, too. Yeah. Yeah, and in a place like Montana, where we are largely uh, small and medium enterprises that populate our state, uh, I would tell you that we are absolutely cognizant of that and working sure. with businesses and our clients all the time to try to figure out the most cost-effective approach to do what they need to do. Mm -hmm. But we're always available and acting as that sort of on-call extension to help businesses uh, deal with matters of international trade. So... One illustration that I think may be helpful for you is, uh, and one that, that, that occurred recently, is we work with a company here in Montana that has a service that they provide, and it's a service in relation to wildland firefighting. Okay. Um, you might not think about services as potential exports, but as a matter of fact, services are really important exports sure. for the state of Montana. And, and so this is not a piece of the Forest Service. This is a Maybe a, pr a, a service firm. provider to the Forest Service? Exactly. Or, or, okay. Yeah. Okay. It's a private entity that would uh, go after contracts with the Forest Service, for example, here in the United States. Got so it. as you are no doubt aware, because we are where we are here in the Indeed. Western United States, uh, wildland firefighting is a pervasive issue. It will continue to be so. Uh, the, for better or for worse, the size of that pie will only continue to grow. So we've got this firm that specializes in, in this in the U.S., and when they try to figure out, okay, how can we um, expand and grow our business, they look internationally to, oh, yeah. right. So Southern think, Hemisphere, exactly. that makes sense. Yeah. So uh, had a project recently where we were working with that firm to help them uh, take a deeper dive into looking in the Chilean market for sure. wildland firefighting. It's a little bit different there than it is here. In fact, um, wildland firefighting and, and contracting for it has principally been driven by the large landowners, like the timber companies that own so they're yeah they're the contracting with yeah. private entities exactly. rather than with government entities. That's right. And the a whole different ball game, skill set, deal. Right, right, and it is shifting a little bit because the government is beginning to get more involved. But historically, yeah. it's been almost exclusively the private sector. So again, helping them map what's going on there right now, 
what kind of uh, regulatory compliance issues are they going to be facing, licensing issues, if they're going to have their pilots uh, flying the planes there, Um, what best partner prospects are there um, based on some profiles that we develop jointly with them. So that's been an interesting project, and we hope uh, that firm will actually be spending some time in country this summer uh, to really kind of uh, nail down some uh, relationships that will be beneficial for the growth of that company overall and really help them to even out the, the highly seasonal, cyclical nature of their business as it is currently. Yeah, that's interesting. I, I mean, that just sort of opened my mind in a variety of ways. One is just this this notion of exporting services. Yes. But also the export function. I mean, when I first started thinking about what on earth is this World Trade Center, I thought about businesses from other countries wanting to to do business or sell into the Montana marketplace. That has to be part of the portfolio, that is, too. Yeah, that's actually part of the portfolio as well. And, and I guess um, in addition to sort of technical assistance for those firms in, t- in making partnering connections in state, that actually touches on a third bucket that I mentioned there, which is those strategic ish- uh, initiatives that we okay. undertake to, to try to move the needle in a positive direction for Montana's trade portfolio. So as an example, Montana World Trade Center is spearheading the Foreign Direct Investment Initiative mm-hmm. for the state of Montana. And so we've long heard in this state that one of the impediments to growth for our business is access to capital. And okay. so I think this opens up another important pathway to potential uh, capital coming into our state. Um, we're just prepping right now for a very large trade show. It's actually it's Select USA. It's the largest foreign direct investment show in the United States. And Montana World Trade Center has actually organized a uh, a presence at the show that will include um, economic development organizations from uh, across the state, Governor's Office of Economic Development, Billings Economic Development Group, it's Big Sky EDA, um, Butte, Bozeman, Missoula, yeah. will all have a presence there. But it's more than just going to the show and crossing our fingers, sure. Justin. I mean, I'm just trying to imagine, are you kind of selling Montana at the show? Is that kind of... We're, we're making the business case and messaging about the business case for various industry verticals that we feel are appropriate for foreign direct investment in Montana. Okay. So there are several that are natural fits for Montana, um, and those include some that we've already in which we've already seen FDI in our state. So think about things like agricultural processing, mm-hmm. often. FDI relationships and ag processing start out where you've got a firm that a Montana-based firm that's selling its product overseas to a foreign buyer for a number of years, and maybe that foreign buyer says, you know, I'd like more continuity in my supply chain, or I'd like to be able to have exclusive, you know, right? And, I want to take an ownership it, stake. Exactly. So, and and we've seen that happen uh, with Pasta Montana. Okay. Uh, over in the Great Falls area, and that's been an excellent partnership. Not only did it bring more capital investment into that facility and that community, they expanded their production lines there. So there's that important capital component. And then also, you know, there's the the expertise that comes along uh, with that foreign firm in terms of managing the uh, the project. Other verticals that make sense for foreign direct investment in the state of Montana, which may not be so obvious since we were just talking about service, for example. Uh, Cloud computing, I think it makes sense to look at uh, software as a service, as Mm -hmm. firms, as potential uh, targets for foreign direct investment. In fact, 
we did see over the course of the last year an Israeli firm forecast, yeah, which yeah. set up yep set up operations here in Montana. That was the result of a long-term effort on the part of Montana World Trade Center and other collaborative partners to make the business case for that software as a service firm locating in Montana. Um, and what is I mean, yeah. what is that kind of like elevator pitch? To a company. Yeah. Well, like I think, that. so first of all, the elevator pitch is slightly different depending on the industry of, sector of that we're talking yep. about. You have to be able to address those critical. Well, like, let's take cloud yeah. computing, yeah, for example. Let's. So cloud computing is in a bucket with knowledge-based industries, mm-hmm. right? So when we're talking, I think the single most important differentiating factor when we're talking about what is the attraction that Montana has for knowledge-based industries is that this place that we have is very sticky, right? So these, yeah. these vibrant communities that we have here in Montana are places where workforce tends to want to stay. Sure. So when you're talking about SaaS firms, for example. Software and, service. Yeah. Right. I'm, the turnover in this industry is mind-boggling, right? So if there's yeah. anything that you can do as an employer to help ensure uh, more stability in your workforce, not only in terms of, of your ability to recruit or lessen turnover, but your ability to work hand in hand with the institutions that are going to be training your workforce yes. for tomorrow. I think those are really important differentiating mm-hmm. factors uh, for our state. So, and again, depending on the industry, there are lots of different things, but affordable, loyal talent, I think is really important. Yeah. Yeah. And, and those partnerships with institutions that should probably be Thinking of ways to, to create a better supply of that talent. Well, we Absolutely. don't want to get we don't want to hijack conversation in that direction necessarily, but I think that's pretty compelling, particularly here in Missoula, but in, in various communities throughout the state. Absolutely. Well, and just to your point there, Justin, you know we've just had a very specific illustration of that kind of collaboration and what that means in terms of not only a, a software as a service firm, but a. a an FDI right, example with, with too. ATG in That's Cognizant. Right, yeah. right, because Cognizant is a UK firm and they have just made an equity investment in ATG here in Missoula. And that this collaborative, this group is working and has been working with the University of Montana for some time now in developing a, a workforce pipeline mm-hmm. and really structuring programs to help um, help them get ready, not only for to adjust their immediate workforce needs, but those future needs. So. Absolutely. And you guys are kind of at the center of, of trying to make these partnerships and arrangements and yes. and forward thinking happen. Yeah. yeah. Um, okay. What else from the Trade Center? What do, what do we miss? What other things do we need to cover on the Trade yeah. Center front? Um, you know, just to, just to touch on the training piece, since we are located mm-hmm. in, a, in a university setting and obviously education is really important. We do topical training across the state on various different... Um, trade-related issues. So just over the course of the last year, I can tell you that we've offered training in relation to EU GDPR. That's the European Union General Data Protection Regulation, right? And you may think, well, that... How does that apply? Or that may not apply. It has huge implications, yeah. Yeah, it actually has huge implications, and and particularly since we were just talking about SaaS firms. I mean, if if you are doing business with firms in the European Union, the EU GDPR applies to you regardless of your geographic location. So we do have firms in that bucket, and you do have to be aware of it. Um, We've just offered a training um, on the USMCA, US-Mexico-Canada agreement, and what the impact of that can and would be for Montana. 
Uh, we do things. We've just offered our, our tech uh, TechX training series uh, on bio, focusing on bio exports. So uh, lots of different kinds of trainings that we offer at the Trade Center. And the things that we have in common there with all the training, we really like to focus on providing, of course, we're providing the expertise. We like to showcase, just kind of have a live case study of a mm-hmm. business that's been through this or is going through this. Sure. Great um, way to illustrate it. Yeah, yeah. because I we feel strongly that, that businesses learn best when they're learning from their peers, mm-hmm. right? They want to talk with other people in the trenches. And then the other piece that we have in common there is wherever possible, we really like to tap into that broader world trade center network so that we can get a more global perspective sure. on the issues that we're, yeah. we're talking about. So, and speaking of learning from your peers, I mean, I think when I, when I met you maybe 2012, 13, 14, you were kind of wrapping up your MBA studies here. I was. And it's all a blur. I'm sure. <laughs> now that you have two jobs, we haven't even gotten to the second job yet. Probably have more jobs that I don't even know about. Um, I do. Not to mention family and all that. Um, but now you, you, you do some teaching in our graduate programs as well. I do. Um, tell us about that. Sure. Uh, so in the fall, I offer a practicum, uh, international business practicum that I've developed that's basically in the 25 years plus that I've been engaged in doing international business personally and assisting clients with it all the things that I wish I knew at the very start, yeah. right? Okay. So, I mean, we cover... What a great premise for a course. Yes, right? Because um, let's make it real. Let's talk about the things that went well. Let's talk about the things that didn't go well. Yeah. And, and let's maybe uh, make that learning curve a little less costly for, for you, my students. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, we talk about things as broad as, you know, again, mitigating payment risk. How do you find distributors? How do you work with them? What things do you have in your agreements? How do you really leverage attending a trade show? What should you do to get ready for that? You know, how should you structure, you know, the basic components of structuring an international distributor agreement? What the heck are INCO terms anyway? And, you know, who's responsible for XYZ and shipping? And so all that kind of between the, it's not, but I mean, I say between the lines stuff, but it's like this common sense, the sort of stuff that you, you've acquired through the school of hard knocks. That's right. Right. But, but probably wish, gosh, I wish I had learned this at the time. Yeah, it's, it's granular detail. I think one thing that I have seen in academia before is often when there are courses that are talking about international business, it's sort of a, a really high level. We're talking yeah. about international yeah. business for the Fortune 100 companies. Right. Yeah. We sort of uh, deify these giant corporations That's and right. overstudy them in a way because most of our students are not going to be working for companies like that, particularly not right out of school. That's right. Yeah. That's right. And as we talked about earlier in, in this podcast, and as we both know, most businesses in Montana are small and medium-sized mm-hmm. businesses. That doesn't preclude them from exporting. Right. Now, it has to be the right time for them, but it doesn't preclude them from doing it. And as a matter of fact, I mean, you and I are old enough to, to see how the dynamic has really shifted since the internet has come into play and, mm-hmm. and, and just increased the ability of firms of all sizes to do business internationally. So, yeah. So that's that's a course that I offer uh, in the fall. And then the, the second piece that I do academically here in the spring, I offer a course that's called Leveraging Public Funds for Business. Okay. Yeah. So 
this is a course that I wrote that is based on my experience and background, uh, my role just prior to my role as director of the Trade Center Heroes, mm -hmm. that I was business development director for Missoula Economic Partnership. So in that economic development space, and it became very apparent for me there that there are myriad programs that are out there, whether we're talking about federal government programs or state programs that right. are, are designed to reward companies for job creation and capital investment. But guess what? Nobody I mean, knows nobody about knows. Them. I yeah. mean, yeah, the businesses that they're supposed to serve, they're too busy with head down in the trenches every day to even know that they're I out there. I mean, you there. could say the same thing about grant funded research. Yes. Um, you know, you know, here at the university and well beyond. Like we just you're so sort of in the weeds of your own stuff you don't realize that, oh yeah, there's there's funding agencies that can help out and hey, we're in a budget problem here at the University of Montana. I, oh, you can get you can get funding elsewhere. Great. So yeah. just sort of opening people's you're just sort of widening the aperture so they can see the whole board. That's is, right. A new angle is underwritten by First Security Bank and Blackfoot Communications, two cool companies doing awesome things all over Montana. Hi, this is Aspen Runkel. I'm a graduate student at the College of Business and a marketing intern for the podcast. And you're listening to A New Angle. And, you know, having gone through the MBA program, too, and, and just um, in general, understanding what kind of focus is placed on bringing in equity investments mm -hmm. for small firms, I can tell you that that is important often. However, it is not the be-all, end-all. And if there are ways where you can bring capital into your business without giving without away equity, equity. Yeah, absolutely. that's even better in most cases. So, so that course is really all about understanding what programs exist, how and when and why you would deploy them, and then also making direct connection with the administrators that you would eventually talk with yeah. about the programs. So that's been pretty well received. I, I hear from students all the time from my class, oh, hey, I, I use this program or I, I'm going to do this. And yeah, it's great. So, you know, we've got World Trade Center mm -hmm. and, and, and we've got the courses you teach. So let's mm -hmm. go on to job number three, because this might be a good time <laughs> to pivot to that, Montech, because that kind of does a lot of this work of helping entrepreneurs sort of find resources to make their ideas and their businesses come to life, right? Right. So uh, Montech is the technology incubator that's actually physically located across the river from University of mm -hmm. Montana campus, uh, for those of you listening out there in Radio Land that, that, that don't know that already. Yeah, Montech houses uh, a couple dozen startups in that space. Um, it's some of the only wet lab space that's available in the state. What's a wet lab? Explain well, it's that. a place where people can do basically research relating to bioscience. Bioscience, right? yeah, okay. So whether we're talking about... Tables and beakers and... That's right. Sterile stuff. Exactly. Droppers. That's right. Yeah. Lab coats. Yes. <laughs> that's what you'll see every day. Actually, I think you'll see far more people in their sort of cargo shorts. Right, and <laughs> right. But also lab coats, to be, and, you know. Um, so... Yeah, Montech offers that physical space where they can have an opportunity to uh, build out their early stage business. A lot of the firms that are over in the Montech space are recipients of SBIR, so Small Business Innovative Research Funding. Mm -hmm. That's something we cover in that class, by yeah, the way. Another yeah, another piece right. of public funding. Right, right, or SCTR funding. And so they've got a chunk of funding to pursue their research and development and hopefully take them to the point of commercializing their technology. Mm -hmm. 
Um, we offer really flexible kind of terms for those startups so they don't have to sign a three-year lease. You know, we can do much shorter term leases that are helpful for them and be really flexible as they grow. Hopefully we've got some additional space that they can expand into yeah, or they can I flip mean, and flop. Th- that yeah. constraint is one that I don't think people, unless they're in it, kind of realize. Like, it's for real. Yeah. How do I get <laughs> yeah. a place to do my work? How do I take it from, you know, my laptop in the coffee shop That's to... Right place where I can meet with clients, a mm-hmm. place where I can get access to high-speed internet that's reliable, conference calling technology. Right. And then put that all probably in a network of peers that are going through a lot of the same challenges at the same time is going to be pretty powerful. Exactly. And we're working hard to develop some more programming to get people literally out of their labs yeah, yeah. and engaging with each other um, more and more. Because I, it's it's incredibly important, that kind of water cooler uh, moment, it really just can't be understated. I know I was talking with one of our entrepreneurs over in the building there, Joe Anderson, who's with Reflex Protect. Yep. Friend of the podcast, yeah, Joe. Yeah, yeah. FOP. And Joe, well, Joe's friend to everybody, I think. He's, he's a great much. guy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> anyway, so uh, I know that, th- so they're tenants at Montech, and they collaborated with another Montech tenant in terms of making their product even more user-friendly for mm-hmm. their prospective client base. Um, Joe has been, you know, I love working with him because, you know, you've, you've got those clients where if you give them a lead or make a connection, you know they're going to follow up. Yeah. Yeah, he's definitely in that bucket. So I know he's been very um, keen to follow up on the connections with our local hospital system, for example, because that's one of the areas where they have deployments for their product. Again, Radioland people, they make a product that's basically a gel-based um, I want It's it's kind of like a pepper spray, but oh, I actually yeah. don't think that's the chemical component of it. Mm-hmm. And their principal initial target um, are are emergency rooms, where actually a lot of kind of violent acts occur, and you can't just deploy a regular cloud based pepper spray because it impacts everybody else. When Absolutely. You do that. You know, just just knowing Joe, his history as a as an attorney in their entertainment space in a variety of different industries. I mean, having a person like that, if if you're like you know freshly out of the university, kicking and screaming, trying to make your idea come to life, and, and a seasoned vet who's so gregarious, like a guy like Joe Anderson, having a person like that just to rub elbows with, absolutely, it's got to be really powerful. It is. So not only has he capitalize on the opportunities to help grow his own business there. He's helped others in the building. For sure. And we we like to kind of cultivate a network like that in the space. Yeah. And then so there's the physical space of Montech. Right. We also talked a little bit about the fact that when we look at where this university and this community is right now and where we want to be, I see real potential on that site to continue the work that we're doing to support startup ecosystem and do more, right? Mm-hmm. So, you know, from my my own perspective, even with my World Trade Center hat on, I would love to see that site become a place where we can have an actual branded World Trade Center complex because yeah. that that commercial component of a World Trade Center is is important uh, for most of the other World Trade Centers around the globe. And that's something we haven't taken advantage of right here. But why right. not use this as an opportunity to really showcase the fact that Missoula and University of Montana, we punch well above our weight class. Right. And we are proactively 
scoping out our place in the global landscape regardless of our size. So I, I would like to see some more happen on that site, and that's a, a work in progress that I think uh, you'll hear more about, I hope, in the future. The other piece on Montech that I wanted to, to reference for you um, and why I thought this was a good fit outside of sort of that commercial component is there are opportunities to go after funding sources in support of broader economic development initiatives okay. for the state of Montana. And having the ability to work uh, with Montech and, you know, the Montana World Trade Center and the university has been important. So just one illustration of that, Justin, is recently Montech was the prime on a contract award that came from the Small Business Administration. Mm -hmm. And this was uh, an innovative cluster award program. And so the state of Montana was actually, well, and this this proposal was one right. of only seven chosen nationally. So that's a real feather in the cap again. For, it's huge. Yeah, it is huge. And it, it helps us to make the case you know, for FDI, for right, bioscience, right. or for any firm that's interested in that space, right? So I, I posited before I took on this role at Montech that there were opportunities for us as a university to do more with our local economic development community and some of the economic development groups around the state to kind of increase the size of the pie. Right. We can do more together. We can pursue some funding that will help us all to achieve those goals of mutual importance. And so this was a great illustration of what can happen when we do that. So just the, the partners on that, Montech, uh, Montana World Trade Center, University of Montana, Montana Bioscience Alliance, Missoula Economic Partnership, and actually Swan Valley Medical. We're excited about that. You know, it's it allows us to message to the world about Montana's strengths and meeting critical location factors and providing intellectual capital for the bioscience industry. So this stuff is awesome, but it's <laughs> huge. Yeah, it's huge. And it just feels like on a more personal level, how, how do you pull it off? I mean, how do you do these two jobs, these three <laughs> jobs and, and have a life and a family and be a mom and all these other things? I mean, this is probably a good moment. We can pivot to the sea change part of the sure. conversation We'll get to some of that stuff, but I just think about you kind of introduced yourself as somebody with a reputation for getting stuff done, yeah, which clearly evident. But how do you actually do it? How do I do it all? Hmm. How do you make choices about allocating your time? Yeah, I. Well, first of all, that's not easy, <laughs> you know. No, not at all. I think it really forces you to on. Not only to be strategic and, and keep constant light of sight on those things that you know you want to see achieved, but really breaking that down into what am I going to do on a daily basis? Mm -hmm. Where can I prioritize my time today in this limited space that I have to sure. get, you know, to move towards those goals? When you say limited, do you put hard, hard limits on your availability and your, your, yeah. your connectivity and yeah. things like that? There are things that are essential for my professional um, kind of efficacy and personal well-being. Yeah, yeah. I think, well, first of all, if you're looking for me to tell you, oh, yes, I don't check my email after a certain time. No, sorry, I do it almost okay. too much, perhaps. I don't know. I, But again, in terms of trying to move things forward, I, I don't have that boundary established in my life. But I do make sure that I am 
exercising all the time. Okay. <laughs> That's really personal. That's a priority in your life? Every day I am making an effort to do that. And it's not just for my own health. Your mind works better Absolutely. when you do that. I that, mean, we're kindred spirits in that sense. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that is where you and I both run. Although I hate to put myself in the running bucket with you because I think you're it's all one just, of those crazy, crazy people uh, that runs ultra marathons. Uh, yeah, categories. Come yeah. on, we all just put one foot in front of the other. <laughs> That's right, we do. And in doing that, taking that act of putting one foot in front of the other, I really think it it has helped me to work through some of the most challenging yeah. things that I've encountered, not only professionally, but personally. So so that's really important for me. And again, being true to every day when I'm coming in, you know, specking out what are my top three things that I am going to achieve today in relation to my goals. And then making sure that I don't just get caught in the weeds because there is so much day-to-day work to do, yeah. to your point earlier, that I always have to be mindful of the strategy piece. I try actually to reserve... Um, Usually I'm reserving Fridays to be my strategy day. Okay. This is the day where I'm really circling back and seeing where I am on this front or that front. We are not recording on a Friday, just to be clear. To listeners. <laughs> That's right. That's right. I would have for you, Justin. But I, I do try to, to kind of keep keep that time yeah, blocked that's, out. that's precious. You have to time box that. You do. You do. Because I, I otherwise it's just too easy to, to lose focus. Mm-hmm. So. Um, and, and I will... You know, I'll also tell you that, frankly, I mean, there are, there are always trade-offs, right? I I certainly have more gray hair than I would like to have at this point in my life. But each and every one of those comes with a long story yeah. behind it. Yeah, and, for sure. And hopefully a positive accomplishment at the end of it. So, yeah. Gosh, I should make some joke about having the <laughs> preference for gray hair over no hair. But, yeah, we don't need to do that. This is a good thing because this is radio. People don't see the That's bald right. spot in the radio. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so this might be a time to kind of just get right to it with the sea change thing. Sure. So this this episode is part of the series of episodes where we're sort of just kind of investigating gender equity in a broad sense. The good things happening here in the University of Montana orbit and the challenges that we face on a variety of dimensions. Um, one of the reasons I wanted to to kind of situate our conversation in this sea change series is you just impressed me at, at, as a leader. I don't want to suggest that you're gender blind. That's not it. But you just impressed me as just someone that plows ahead, gets stuff done, and gender doesn't seem to be a huge thing on your radar screen. Yeah. At least the outward impression is that way. Yeah. I would definitely classify. Is that fair? Is yeah, that fair no, I, I think that's absolutely fair. I would definitely classify myself and my personal experience of someone who's working within the system to create positive change. Okay. Absolutely. Yeah. And I just, I think throughout my professional life, I have made a conscious choice to not dwell in that space of, oh, what may not be available to me because of this. I I think it's counterproductive for me personally. It's too easy to get kind of lost in that thought process. To sort of victimize yourself? Yeah, that is that is not me. That is never okay. the person that I have been. So, again, we have all of us as human beings kind of a, a finite amount of bandwidth to deal with all the various things that we need to achieve sure. and want to achieve both personally and professionally in our lives. And so, again... Why focus on any kind of potential limitation? And for me, it's been far more important to focus on the opportunity to give shape to those things that I think are important professionally and to go after them. 
And, I mean, you told me some stories about your childhood. I mean, this goes back to some foundational experiences in your education. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So um, I know we were talking about, uh, you know, looking back, what are the – when did you first become aware of potential for gender inequity or something? Sure. Yeah, and I I started thinking about that, and – the first time I remember kind of recognizing this was actually in junior high. Mm-hmm. And at the time, my absolute favorite teacher in the world had a pet name for me, and uh, his pet name was Virago. So since that's not a very common Yeah, what does that mean? <laughs> I have not heard that term so, before. Well, the, to give you a pop culture reference, think Arya Stark, right, in the Game of Thrones thing. Okay. <laughs> sort of I'm new to that game, but female yeah, I, warrior I think kind I'm, of yeah, thing. Yeah, I know that character. So maybe that's the most positive way to look at it. But um, maybe in more modern day English, I think it's a, it's a term for sort of an argumentative or domineering woman. And so... I can see your face there, and you're like, wow, that seems terrible. <laughs> well, no, no, not at all. Just the word domineering is a freighted mm-hmm. term yeah. as well. We have all these yeah. terms that are sort yeah. of pejorative in some context and have history. And, yeah, and so – but but this whole thing came about at a really kind of important formative time in my life. And, and while I think that could very well have been something that brought me down, for me – I said, you know what? I am embracing that nomenclature. It's validating, I, lo- right? I loved it, right? Yeah. And, and like it wasn't a hey, stay in your lane, young no. girl. It was no. uh, wow, you're something to be reckoned with. Yes, because in the context of my interaction with him in that class, I knew it meant that I was inquisitive and that I demanded fact-based feedback for his assertions, mm-hmm. right? And and so this that name just kind of allowed me to be unapologetically demanding with authority figures, yeah. right? Just be prepared. I'm going to ask you questions. I'm not just asking you questions to do that or to poke at you. I'm asking you questions because it will help not only to increase my understanding, it will benefit the class as a whole, and you're going to get a better work product out of it. So the flip side of of that kind of inquisitive nature or demanding those sort of the fact-based feedback is that, you know, I, I need to be able to to supply an end product that's worth it, right? Yeah, you kind of yeah. have to you have to walk the talk on yeah, the other sure. side as well. Sure. But, you know, I saw in my class then, um, boys and girls, I mean, we were young then, that were just unwilling to do that, that, mm-hmm. that were afraid to have that kind of approach. And, and I think that robbed them of their ability to gain foundational knowledge. And I just was unwilling to let that happen, and I, and I still am. So I think it's it's a good value add. Yeah, the Virago thing. Yeah, let's bring that to sort of present day because you mm-hmm. you sit in a seat in a role that I mean, you're just interacting with so many different populations. Uh, you know, more traditional businesses, the agriculture, the extraction industries, the tech firms, then international constitu- constituencies mm-hmm. as well. Just a, a huge range of kind of cultural norms and stereotypes and expectations for, for gender and other dimensions. How has that kind of, how has your sort of just the way you operate um, interacted with some of those forces? Well, the way I operate is to get things done, you know, and right. I just, okay. I, so again, I have never dwelled on any 
perceived inequity. And while I am cognizant of the fact that in some people's minds that may exist, whether it's for cultural reasons um, or other, I just, I think that I have set my mind to demonstrating that there's real value add in this relationship, right, that we have. If you're working with me, there's going to be a value add for, for both of our organizations, both of our parties. And so I, I just have, I've just never dwelled on that, Justin. And I guess how have I dealt with, I mean, well, not I guess to say that I've never had issues. Yeah, I mean, I guess I what I'm trying to get at is yeah. there's a difference between not dwelling on something yeah. and then not recognizing oh, a no, barrier. I, yeah, yeah, I recognize it, but I just, I think that one of the things that has been important for me professionally and maybe has helped to, to make some headway outside of, you know, work product that I've mm-hmm. demonstrated is, you know, I, you also have to be able to give as good as you get in terms of kind of unseating longstanding gender biases that right, people may right. have. And I think one of the ways that I've been able to do that more, most successfully is just using humor. With humor. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's very disarming. It's disarming and it kind of points out the ridiculousness of someone's, you know, viewpoint without it feeling super threatening, right? Yeah. You can laugh about it. And then Later, you can contemplate it and maybe shift mindset. Well, and that's a pathway into persuasion as well. It is. I mean, if you're if you're demonstrating to whoever it is on the other side of the interaction that you 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 can get stuff done, mm-hmm. you have the ability, the talent, and the drive to get stuff done. And if you can disarm tension with humor, yeah, that just gives you a pathway into persuading them. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. Um, along those lines, I mean. Y- you could make an argument that you sort of are an exemplar of a particular way of operating that is quite effective. How do we as an institution, you know, maybe maybe through sea change, maybe not, like how do we kind of inform students, men, women, whatever gender gender people identify with, that developing an attitude like this is possible? Hmm. You know, do you think about that like in your classes and with young Female entrepreneurs, perhaps, who who maybe perceive more barriers than you think that they should, or I don't, I don't, I don't want to so, use like sort of judgmental terms here. But so, what can we do as an institution and kind of well, first of all, or what do you do as a leader? Sure, to just help other people that maybe perceive barriers that you think, hey, you got to bash, bash through it. One of the foremost things I do on that front is to make sure that. I am doing what I need to do to open up networks for okay, relationships. young women that I work with, right? I mean, and I think that's a, an important part of the Sea Change Initiative, too. I'm, not only do I anticipate that the university is going to do some internal evaluations in terms of strengths or opportunities for improvement, um, I, I think that we're also going to make a more concerted effort on an institutional level, and I know I do every day, again, to make sure that we're connecting with uh, aspiring female leaders with networks that are going to help them be uh, more of a part of the larger changes that we want to see in society. You know, um, we're talking about making connections to networks that were largely out of reach for my mother's generation. Yeah, okay. And, and, and we're in reach for a select few in my generation and that I hope would be boundless mm-hmm. for my daughter's generation. So again, ensuring that that women have 
uh, the opportunity, whether it's through uh, running and operating and succeeding in their own businesses or, you know, their contributions to science or politics or arts, wherever their strengths might lie, making sure that, that they're a part of that on all fronts. Again, network connections, really important. I mean, that hits the, the sort of safety, empowerment, and acceleration mm-hmm. virtues of sea change spot yeah. on. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I think that's what I'll be focusing. And that's always what I've focused on um, professionally and, and sort of the mentoring piece to uh, I have in the past and I will continue to do so talk with women about how I've dealt with very specific mm-hmm. scenarios. I think that's really valuable. And so as someone who holds you know, people you work with accountable. How are you going to hold the university accountable for this, uh, for, for this initiative? <laughs> do you have ideas of things we, we absolutely have to do or accomplish or at least interrogate during this year of exploration? So luckily, Justin, it's not my job to figure that out in its entirety. However... That's true. Yeah, yeah we're not I reporting know. to you necessarily. Yeah. Um, off the top of my head, I know that there are some things that I think are important. I, I think that as an organization... On a tactical level, I actually think they're probably undertaking some some pay equity uh, surveys, mm-hmm. which I think will be a good thing to do. I think that the university must have systems in place um, that are agile and can reward talent quickly because you will see that talented people will rise to the top regardless of gender. And, yeah. you know, um, and then I also think that Again, on a really granular level, compensation should never be based on what you got in your last gig. Mm-hmm. That's something for that, sure. Yeah, that's something that's historically been a challenge, uh, more so for women than for men in the workplace. So. That seems like such an odd question in a job search process. Your salary history. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, well, you can't even do now. that in some states now. Yeah, so. protected. Yeah, not class, but protected information. Mm-hmm. I guess. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well. Brigitte, I look forward to the year ahead and sort of picking your brain about this stuff more. I appreciate you coming by the podcast, sharing some time. And if people want to learn more about Montana World Trade Trade Center, Montech, the courses you teach, probably the 10 other jobs you have you haven't told us about, (laughs) how how do we find more about you? Yeah, so our offices are located in the College Business, uh, Suite 257, University of Montana. And we've joked about this before, though, Justin, in a state with 1 million people in it, I am probably the only Brigitte in this state. Could so, be. You know, you yeah, could yeah. go out and With yell on the street corner, right? Right. Thanks for helping to get the message out. For sure. Thank you. All right. Bye. Okay. I hope you enjoyed that one. Check out the work of both Montech and the World Trade Center, invaluable resources for the Montana economy. All right. Coming up next week, we have Joe Anderson. After a long and successful career as an attorney in the music business, Joe returned to Montana and is now working at Reflex Protect. Reflex Protect is a Missoula-based startup making a self-defense product that can save lives and bring together disparate groups that typically butt heads. It's an inspiring story, and I'm excited to bring it to you next week. Thanks for listening to A New Angle. We really appreciate it. And we're coming to you from Studio 49, a gift from University of Montana alums Michelle and Lauren Hansen. And remember that A New Angle is supported by CED, Consolidated Electrical Distributors, These guys pretty much sell anything electrical you would ever need, but they also hire a ton of our students. If you want to learn more about jobs at CED, visit cedcareers.com. And before we go, I want to thank some important peeps. Executive producer, Stefan Borsum. Producer, Aidan Morton. And interns, Aspen Runkle and Max Gibson. Huge thanks to VTO, Jeff Ament, and John Wicks for the tunes. And finally, props to Jeff Meese, our master of all things sound. Finally... 
If you have any questions, suggestions, comments, insults, whatever, please email me at anewangle at umontana.edu. Help us spread the word and be sure to use the hashtag anewangle when you do. Thanks a lot and see you next time.